to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, then, now, and in the future. Edinburgh, 1898. Scotland was just barely crawling its way out of the 19th century. I was a naive but ambitious student, studying music at the University of Edinburgh, hurrying over to meet Arthur Conan Doyle, the man who would change my life forever. "'John Patrick Scott, sir,' I said as I approached Mr. Doyle, who was already seated at a back corner table where he hoped he wouldn't be recognised. He had picked the Deacon Brodie, the pub that inspired the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I extended my hand to greet him and removed my rain-soaked hat, while my overcoat slipped out of my hands and fell on the floor by accident. It was still hard to believe that good fortune had finally brought us together, but we were both nervous.' "'The pleasure is all mine,' Doyle responded like a father to his son. "'Mr. Conan Doyle, or should I call you Dr. Doyle?' I said, unsure how to address him. Doyle scrutinized me from top to bottom as he signaled the waiter. "'John, call me Arthur,' he said, casually ignoring the tension I couldn't control. "'Sir, I'm so honoured that you agreed to discuss this matter. Perhaps you can enlighten me in a way that I fail to comprehend.' I wanted to ask him about my unusual turn of events straight away, but he caught me off guard and was dead set on pulling me into the swift current of an unexpected conversation. "'Can I assume you believe in the transmigration of souls?' he asked. "'Until now I haven't given it a lot of thought,' I said, unsure as to which direction he was leading. "'Do you ever read those books about that Swiss doctor "'who felt his body and soul had been taken over by a Benedictine monk? "'That presented a curious case. "'He claims that he was approached by the spirit of an elderly monk before he died, "'and that the monk needed to rent his body to continue his spiritual mission. "'Rent!' I choked in disbelief. We truly don't take anything with us when we pass on, do we? This monk knew that he was dying, and therefore had to replace his physical body with something more youthful and vital. That's incredible. It debunks the theory that you have to die and be reborn as an infant to carry on your spirit, I said. Mr. Doyle had the tinge of excitement in his voice. "'John, here's another instance. I've had my suspicions about a famous musician who had an obsession about a notorious and controversial mystic. You'd surmise by his overwhelming attraction to that person that he might have been him in a previous lifetime, but facts were clear that he was born three years before the mystic died. My understanding is that the mystic knew he didn't have long in his present incarnation. Therefore, he made plans for some sort of partial soul transference while he was still alive to imprint his essence upon the child. That would have allowed him to carry on and accomplish unfinished business that couldn't have been executed otherwise. Essentially, he had the ability of being two places at once. Sounds more like spiritualism, I replied. Honestly, John, I don't think there are any steadfast rules when it comes to this matter. That's what makes it so intriguing. I sensed he had a secret agenda. Doyle reloaded his churchwarden pipe with fresh tobacco and continued. 
This is not at all like anything you've ever read from H.G. Wells or Jules Verne. We're poking holes in every treatise written on the subject. The idea of being able to reincarnate a part of yourself while you are still alive into another soul. Our conversation was quickly becoming like a speeding train, ready to jump the tracks. Realizing this, Doyle slowed down the pace and took a deep breath. He carefully composed his next statement. Fiction it may seem to be, but it's not hocus-pocus. Don't you find it strange that you somehow found yourself initiated into a mystic order on a commuter train bound from London to Edinburgh when the instigators kept on mistaking you for me? There are no accidents. I became silent for a moment, stalling for time as I slowly raised my glass of ale to my lips. As soon as I fished a small red book out of my coat pocket and placed it on the table in front of us, Arthur eyed it intently. 